following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. What is it that really, really, really makes you happy? What is it that brings joy to your heart like nothing else will? What is it that you like to see? It just brings an inner peace that overflows with joy. What is it that you like to hear? What is it that you like to participate in? As a pastor, I love seeing people grow spiritually mature. I love to see them pursuing God. I love to see people coming and getting saved. I love to see a lost sinner truly repent of their sins and turn their lives completely over to the Lord. That's what makes me happy as a pastor. What, what makes you happy? What is it that you see? What is it that's going on in your life that maybe you're unhappy with right now? Or maybe what is that one thing that you're saying that if I only had this in my life, I would really, really be happy? What is it that brings that to your life? I know for Miss Sylvia, one thing she would, uh, it would make her happy to see this choir loft filled with people that are here practicing on Wednesday nights, worshiping on Sunday mornings, being a part of our music ministry here at First Baptist Church. I know that that would make her happy. I would love to see this sanctuary filled with people come the first Sunday of February when we start our revival and prophecy crusade. I would love to see that. That would really, really make me happy. And I know that would, that would make some of you happy as well. But some of you here, you, you seem to have some Something missing in your life right now. You're saying, I just got this empty spot right now, and without that being filled, I will not be happy. Maybe that's the attitude that you have going into the year 2024. We're going to start a sermon series called Attitude Adjustments. Maybe you just need a complete attitude adjustment in your life. Maybe your outlook is wrong on things. Maybe you don't have a biblical worldview. Maybe you don't have the blessings in your life that you think you need to ultimately make you happy. An attitude adjustment. What is it about our Christian attitude that is going to bring us inner peace? We just came back from what is termed as the happiest place on earth. And I can honestly say that not everybody I saw there was happy. There was a lot of people waiting in some long lines. They weren't happy about that. I heard from several parents, if you don't change your attitude right now, we're going home. And I knew right away they were blowing smoke because I knew how much they paid for that ticket. They're not going home once they got into that park. And probably the kids knew that as well. So that was just a a lame excuse. That was not a good tactic at all. But there were some people there that were happy. I mean, that is a place that they like to go. They like to to be there. They like to do these things. They like to ride those rides. They like to see those shows. But for some people, you could tell that they just did not want to be there. So for them, it was not the happiest place on earth. And I think happiness has to do with your outlook on things, your attitude. What is my attitude going into this? If you show up to church on Sunday morning, and you don't get anything out of it, more than likely your attitude was bad from the word go. From the moment you got here, from the moment you got up, from the moment we started singing, you just sat there with your arms folded and you said, you know what, I just don't want to be here. That was your attitude, and you're not going to get anything out of this. Here's the thing that I know about an attitude. 
a bad attitude stinks. And a bad attitude is very, very contagious as well. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for over 40 years because of a bad attitude, and it was contagious among everybody that was there. They were unhappy with God's provisions. They were unhappy even though God had set them free from slavery in Egypt. Their belly aching, their moaning, their groaning, their complaining was their attitude. And their attitude was, I believe in God, but I don't think he can provide everything that I need to make me happy. So we're going to take a look at our attitude. We're going to be looking at uh, the opening for Jesus' sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bible this morning, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. So here's the thing. A bad attitude is contagious. A bad attitude will set the tone for everything that takes place in your life. For the person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, pleasing God should bring happiness to your life like nothing else will. Listen to what the, the writer of Proverbs has to say about your attitude and your outlook. Proverbs chapter 3, if you want to write it down, verses 1 through 4. He says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Peace would bring happiness to some people's lives. He goes on to say, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. So there's a brief formula that will help you change your attitude to maybe bring a little bit of peace and joy and happiness into your life. But for the, for the child of God, here's the connection that I want you to see. For the child of God, there's a very strong connection between obedience and blessings. The book of Deuteronomy lays that out perfectly clear. There are chapters devoted to the cursings that come from disobedience and the blessings that comes from obedience as well. But in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus preached undoubtedly and undeniably the greatest sermon ever recorded. It is known as the Sermon on the Mount. There's also a similar sermon to it found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke Luke's uh, sermon is known as the Sermon on the Plain because it just said that Jesus was in a flat spot. It could have been a plateau up on a mountain. We don't know exactly where it was at. But there are some striking similarities between those two sermons. However, Luke's sermon is a little bit more abbreviated than what Matthew records. But in both of these sermons, there is an introduction that's known as the Beatitudes. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Well, what is a Beatitude? Why, why are they labeled Beatitudes? The word Beatitude originates from the Latin Beatitudo, they are also known as makarisms. That derives from the Greek word uh, makarios uh, that begins each of the Beatitudes. Blessed are these people who do these certain things. And we're going to find out over the next few weeks that the word blessed 
in its context has several different meanings. The obedience has a connection to a specific type of blessing that comes along with it. And when you're reading scripture, one thing that you remember, one thing that you really, really need to remember is that context is king. Anything you read needs to be read in context. What's said before it, what's said after it, who is it said to, what is its purpose. When you read scripture, context is king because when you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. (laughs) Remember that when you're reading the Bible. But these blessings all need to be looked at in light of the context in which they are in. Jesus is setting the tone for his sermon on the mount. When you look at the word blessing, what does it mean to you? What do you consider to be a blessing? Do you, do you consider a materialistic thing to be a blessing or do you consider a spiritual thing to be a blessing in your life? We're going to find out over the next few weeks what it means to really be blessed as a child of God. The Beatitudes in Matthew 5 basically set the tone for the rest of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And everything that he preaches in the Sermon on the Mount is in light of the law given by Moses in the Old Testament. He's expounding on every law that Moses gave in the Old Testament. What are some qualities or attributes that we will discover about a person who is blessed and who really has a kingdom mindset or attitude. If you're following along in your outline, if you're filling in the blanks, these these four blessings that I'm about to give to you, uh, they're, they're going to go with our outline. We're going to break down the Beatitudes into three different categories, and these blessings have to go with the categories that we're going to be looking at today. So when you think about a blessed person, here's some things that you need to remember. A blessed person is happy and content. Are you happy right now? Are you content with what the Lord has given you in your life? A blessed person is also spiritually secure. You're going to see that right in the middle of these Beatitudes. A a blessed person is also spiritually mature. Maybe you don't think you've reached full maturity in your spiritual life yet, but maybe you are more mature than what you were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. But as a believer, you should always be uh, working on your spiritual maturity. You should always be growing. You should always be learning. You should always be living out the principles that you see in the Word of God. But a blessed person is also anticipating God's presence. The last two Beatitudes that we look at really, really focus on that part. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's all stand as we open up to Matthew chapter 5. And here's what Jesus says as he opens up his Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see 
God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father God, we thank you so much for this list of attitudes that we have before us. God, help us to set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Help us to have a scriptural worldview, a biblical worldview above all else. But help us to take what you lay out here in the Beatitudes, Lord God, and really apply it to our lives. And as we begin to study this over the next few weeks, Lord, reveal to me what we need to learn. Show me what I need to preach, Lord God. And help us to take in, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only, Lord God, because I believe if we can get hold of these attitudes, that our life will be much fuller for the kingdom's sake. Lord, for us to have a kingdom mindset, we need to strive towards achieving this type of attitude in our life. I know in my life, Lord God, I need my attitude to be adjusted quite often. And I know, Lord God, that moving forward into this year and the things that we need to do as a church, our attitude needs to be right. Help us to be mindful, Lord God, of those around us as they watch us, as we testify of your love and your mercy and our grace, Lord God, let our actions speak just as loudly and as clearly as our words do as we share the goodness of your love and your mercy and your grace. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So the three groups that we're going to break these Beatitudes down into, verses 3 through 6, we're going to talk about those who live totally dependent on God. Those people are blessed. Verses 7 through 9, we're going to talk about those who practice Christ-like characteristics. Those people are blessed as well. And the third group we're going to look at happens in verses 10 through 12. Those who live contrary to their current culture are blessed. Now, In my lifetime, I've run across quite a few people that are contrary (laughs) in some way or another. But as Christians, we should be going against the grain of our culture. There should be something odd about us. There should be something unique about us. There should be something totally different about us that goes contrary to what our culture is living out today. And these Beatitudes have a lot to say about that and a lot to do about that. First of all, we see that there are those who live totally dependent on God. Uh, Verses 3 through 6 point this out. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, and those who are striving for righteousness all have one thing in common. They have a need that can only be met by God. And as you look through these Beatitudes, you'll notice that the first one and the last one are written in present tense and all the rest are written in future tense. That has a lot to say about the way they are laid out, the order in which they are in, 
But what is your need right now? What is the one thing that you really need? What is that one empty spot that you said, man, if this spot in my life was filled, I would be happy. My attitude would be right. My Everything about it would be, what is your need right now? And if you say, Brother Tracy, I don't need anything right now. That's your number one problem. Because we are all in need of something that only God can provide. You need to have a dependency upon God above everything else. So the first step in drawing closer to God and becoming more like Jesus and developing a kingdom attitude is understanding that you have a need in your life that only God can meet. No matter where you are at in your relationship with the Lord. If you're lost, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you're a newborn believer, you just recently got saved, or if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, you still have a need in your life that only God can fill. And these four, first four Beatitudes, these first three verses, uh, verses three through six, describe people who live totally dependent upon the Lord. You are spiritually bankrupt before you come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that a lost person can find inner peace and joy and genuine happiness is obedience to God. And let me just say that for a person who is saved as well. The only way that they will experience joy and inner peace is by obeying what God asked them to do. So for the person who is separated from God, the first step is repentance. The Greek word for repentance is the word metanoia, is where we get the word metamorphosis from. It is a complete makeover, a complete transformation, a complete change of mind. They have an attitude that is bent against God, The book of Romans says that they are actually at enmity with God. They are enemies of God. And so the first thing that needs to be changed is their total mindset about who God is and what he can do for them. If they're lost, they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they need to be transformed. They need to repent of their sins. They are currently a self-made person that does not realize that they have a need. And only when they understand their depravity and their lost condition will they find out how much they depend on God to forgive them of their sins. They need a transformation. See, a lot of people have information, but they don't have the transformation that needs to take place. Their sins have never been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are separated from the Lord. They look like the world. They walk like the world. They talk like the world because they don't have a godly mindset. Their attitude has not been changed. Their attitude has not been transformed. Some people know about Jesus Christ. Some people believe in God, but their lives have not been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you go to uh, one of our local fitness centers, if you've ever been in one before, you'll notice that along some of the walls, 
There are nothing but mirrors. <laughs> That's because the people that go in and want to work out, they want to see the transformation taking place. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I live with one. <laughs> Ladies, whenever you get up in the mornings and you begin fixing your face and fixing your hair, you sit in front of a mirror because you want to see that transformation as it takes place. Do you have everything... And I, that's as far as I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. I think you get the point, though. A transformation should be noticeable. A person who's working out, their muscles are going to get bigger. There's a transformation that takes place when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. A metanoia, a metamorphosis. You're not the person that you once was. That's what baptism represents. The old person is dead and gone and buried, and a completely new person has been raised to life. The first step in drawing closer to God and having that kingdom attitude is understanding that you need a total transformation. You need a total attitude adjustment. Only when that person understands the level and the depth of their depravity in their lost condition, will they find out how much they really do need to depend on God for the forgiveness of their sins? First John chapter 1, verse 7 says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of how much? All of our sins. Totally dependent on the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ alone to wash away all of our sins. Now, for the believer, for the person who has genuinely been born again, their first step is total surrender. Do you know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? Yeah, you, you may know him as Savior. He's forgiven you of your sins. He saved you from hell. He's given you an eternity in heaven. But is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is he the ruler of your life? Have you totally surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I surrendered to the ministry, I was actually reading a book by a guy by the name of Michael Catt, and it was called The Power of Surrender. I still keep it in my office. I loan it out only to special people. I keep a close eye on where it's at, who's got it, how long they've had it, because I have dates in it, I have notes in it, I have things highlighted and underlined. It was very, very powerful for me to read through that and understand the power of truly surrendering to the Lord. And that's what led me to surrendering to the calling that he's placed on my life. But for the believer, for the person who has genuinely been born again, the first step to having an attitude adjustment is total surrender. Oh, they've repented of their sins, but they still have a I can do it on my own mentality. Going back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, one that you commonly know, how much does it talk about total surrender and applying to your attitude as you walk with the Lord? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is totally depending on the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him. Totally dependent on him guiding your life. 
In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So those who live totally dependent on God, they are blessed. They're happy. They're content. They're obedient. They know my life is pleasing to the Lord, and I'm doing all that I can to please my heavenly Father. There's a blessing for those who truly depend on God, and that blessing is being happy and being content with your life, with its direction, and with what it's doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see happens in verses 7, 8, and 9. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who practice Christ-like characteristics. They are blessed. Notice I use here the word practice. That, That was very, very intentional. Are you a practicing Christian? It's one thing to read the words and the messages in this book, but it's another thing to put them into use in your life. It's one thing to read the instructions to something that needs to be assembled, (laughs) but until you put that into practice and obey what it says, will you put it together the way that it's supposed to be assembled? When you go to your doctor, a lot of times he's referred to as what? A practicing physician. (laughs) That's kind of scary, ain't it? (laughs) He's practicing on me today. (laughs) Hopefully he gets it right this time. Uh, I don't know what he's seeing in that x-ray or that blood work, but I'm hoping that what he's practicing is, is the right diagnosis. Why is he called a practicing physician? That's because no matter how long he has been a doctor, no matter how long it has been since he has studied medicine, there is always something new that he needs to adjust and adapt to. There's always something evolving, something developing, something um, morphing into another virus that they've never seen. And they need to practice and they need to experiment. They need to try to find ways to cure that disease. They are referred to as practicing physicians. But are you a practicing Christian? As this world uh, develops around us, as our culture erodes away, as it uh, goes in the wrong direction, are you practicing methods taught in the Bible that will help you adjust to that in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you adjusting to the ways of this world to help you witness to someone who has never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? What can I see in the news that I can talk about to a person and put a a biblical concept to that? How does my biblical worldview, how does my attitude help me to practice what Jesus taught when he was here on this earth 2,000 years ago? A practicing Christian is someone who is continuously trying to please the Lord and put into use what they read in this Bible until they get it right. These next three Beatitudes, they apply to practicing Christians, those who are doing their best to constantly live for God by becoming more like Jesus. Do you ever think about that as your goal? You know, that's what God wants. He wants you to be just like Jesus. He wants you to look just like Jesus. He wants you to talk and to think just like Jesus. 
But there are things that we have to practice each and every day. We have to put them into practice in our lives to become more and more like Jesus. See, here's what you need to understand. God loves you just the way you are. And God accepts you just the way you are. But God refuses to leave you the way you are. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. And he wants to make you look just like his son, Jesus Christ. After all, that's what the word Christian actually means. It means little Christ, someone who looks just like Jesus. If you are practicing what God says here in his word, you are blessed. But that blessing means that you are spiritually secure and that you are trying to become spiritually mature. Don't don't be satisfied with status quo. Don't be satisfied with the same old, same old. Don't be below average. Don't be average. Set your goals on something high in 2024. Hey, if, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every single time. But when you say my goal for the year 2024 is to change my attitude, to make me walk, talk, think just like Jesus, God will begin showing you some things that you need to change. I promise you that. Mercy. Maybe you have the actual spiritual gift of mercy, but there is still room for improvement. We're going to look at each one of these beatitudes individually. We're going to break them down. We're going to expound on them. We're going to go into the details of them. Today is just a brief overview. But if you're looking at that beatitude where it says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy, that's exactly what Jesus taught in his model prayer. He said, how shall your heavenly father forgive you if you don't know how to forgive other people? In other words, how do you expect the mercy of God to fall upon your life if you can't show mercy to another human being? He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Obtaining mercy is a blessing that you get out of that. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let me tell you something. As long as you live in this broken and corrupt and filthy world, there is a constant need for your heart to be purified. That's what the whole sanctification process is about for a Christian. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are justified only by his blood. And then we are sanctified. That sanctification process is the process that you are in right now. And you will be going through that sanctification process until the day that you draw your final breath or until the day Jesus Christ returns. God is constantly cleansing you, constantly changing. That's why we come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, as often as possible. That's why we gather around uh, like-minded believers because that helps us get away from the filthiness of this world and draw closer to the Lord by drawing closer to each other. That's what the church is here for. All right. (laughs) I don't hurt every now and then, you know. But blessed are the pure in heart. The peacemakers... You may be one who desires peace. You may be one who prays for peace. But are you the person who intentionally seeks to make peace with others and in situations that evolve around you? 
Jesus says there's a particular blessing connected with those who consider themselves peacemakers. When we were in Costa Rica several years ago, uh, they were looking for someone to pastor a church, a, a church plant that they were starting in another community. And they often referred to him as the man of peace. They didn't always call him the pastor, but they said, we're looking for the man of peace. I tell you what, as a shepherd of this church, that is part of my responsibility. Because let me tell you something about sheep. (laughs) They like to fight. They like to bite. They often butt heads. So that is a shepherd's number one responsibility is maintaining unity and peace and happiness within the flock. Because if we're at ends with each other, if we're constantly fighting and biting and bickering, we're not going to get anything accomplished. But Jesus says in this one particular beatitude, he said, blessed are those who are peacemakers. They don't just think about peace. They don't just pray about peace, but they actually intentionally put themselves in a situation that they know is not right. They say, hey, look, let's make peace over this. Let's don't fight any longer. Let's do what we can to get along in this situation. And Jesus said, for those people who do that, there is a specific blessing for them. Those who practice Christ-like characteristics, Jesus himself is known as the Prince of Peace. And there is never a time that you'll read in any of the Gospels where Jesus was intentionally causing friction among his followers. He kept his disciples together for the three years that he had them. And he did his best to keep the peace and the unity among those who would follow him. So there is a blessing for those who really want to live for God. They are spiritually secure and they are striving for maturity. Next we see uh, that there's a blessing for those who live contrary to their current culture. Living contrary to the current culture. Do you look like the world? Is there something different about you? Is there something unique about you? Are you different from those around you? Does your attitude line up with the ways of this world or with the ways of God's kingdom? Does your worldview line up with Scripture? You see, Jesus teaches here that if our way of thinking doesn't line up with this world's way of thinking, we're going to be rejected. None of us like to be rejected. None of us like to be turned away. But Jesus talks about those who are persecuted for a specific reason, for righteousness' sakes, because their lives are pleasing to the Lord, and they are striving to become more like Jesus and less like the world. They are contrary to the ways of this world and the beliefs of this world and the culture of this world. Counter-cultural Christians. How often do you hear that term? That's exactly what we should be. Jesus says that when our way of thinking doesn't line up with this world's way of thinking, we'll be rejected. People will label us as Jesus freaks and Bible thumpers. However, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that that is written in 
present tense. That's not a future blessing. He said, you're going to get that blessing right now if you're living contrary to this world. Jesus is teaching here that there is a litmus test for the true citizen of heaven. Their ways will be contrary to this world's ways. Are you different? That's the question that you need to think about right here. Am I different from anyone else around me? Am I a peculiarly strange person according to the ways of this world? Or do you look like, think like, and act just like everyone else around you? There is an emphasis found in this Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus uses these Beatitudes as the introduction to his sermon, there is a common thread found throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew. And I would challenge you to read Matthews 5, 6, and 7 today, later on today, tonight. Maybe meditate on it throughout the week. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus introduces what he calls a model prayer. Look over in chapter 6 for just a moment. And there's five specific words that he uses here that kind of set the tone for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, do not be like them. He's pointing to even the religious leaders around him. He's pointing to the world around him. He's pointing to the Gentiles, those who don't believe in God. He's pointing to some who act like they believe in God. He's saying there are some people in this world that you do not want to be like. You should live contrary to their way of thinking and their way of living. If you're in Matthew 6, verse 8, underline those words. Therefore, do not be like them. Are you different? Or are you just like everyone else? Write down this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter writes here, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special, or depending on what translation you use, peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, if you've been born again, you're not like anybody else in this world. There are people in this world that are still in the darkness, but you've been blessed because you've been called out of the darkness and into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what sets you apart from everyone else in this world. Contrary to the ways of of this world and the ways of this current culture. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. Write that verse down. For you are a holy people. The word holy right there literally means set apart. Set apart from everything else around you. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special, there's that word again, 
special or peculiar treasure above all the peoples who are here on the face of this earth. You are unique. You are different. You are peculiar. In some ways, according to this world, you are strange. (laughs) I know I'm weird. Buddy, I don't want to look like this world. And I hope you don't either. I hope that your attitude right now is one that is set on the kingdom of God. And if not, maybe you need an attitude adjustment today to get you started in this upcoming year. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Here it is again, if you want to write down that verse. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That gets me fired up right there. I don't know about you. That's what we should be looking for. That's what should set us apart because this world is not looking for Jesus Christ to return, but we are. And we know, according to what we're seeing taking place in this world, it's coming soon. That's why I asked Brother Sam for the first week of February to bring something on end times. Give us something prophetic. Give us something that lets us know what's going on in this world according to what God has laid out in his word. We are looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own. Here it is again, special or peculiar people zealous for good works. We just learned a couple of weeks ago in our study of Book of Galatians on Sunday night that it is good to be zealous over certain things. What are you zealous about right now? What makes you happy? Are you zealous for the things of God? Or are you so consumed by your own agenda and your schedule and the things going around it that you don't have time for the things of God right now? Maybe that's where your attitude needs to be adjusted at. Don't focus on yourself. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about living for Him. It's about having your attitude set on things of God's kingdom. So there's a special blessing for those whom the world labels as peculiar because they have a kingdom mindset and attitude because they are anticipating God's presence and his coming kingdom. How's your attitude today? What is it that makes you happy? Or what's missing in your life that would make you more like Jesus? As we begin this year, second Sunday of the new year, revival coming up, a whole year ahead of us to be able to minister and reach out to our community. What's your attitude right now? Does it stink? A bad attitude is contagious. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the be attitudes. There's a book written by Robert Schuler. It's called The Be Happy Attitudes. I highly recommend that book. That's where I'm going to be getting a lot of my resources from, and I'll, I'll give you some quotes out of that book. I didn't have anything out of it today, but uh, it's one that I've been looking at pretty close in preparation for this uh, sermon series. 
What is your attitude right now? Could you care less about the things of God? Maybe you haven't been born again. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you need that metanoia or that repentance, that total transformation. You need to start that today. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, why not start off the year 2024 as a new person? Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Hey, look, 2023 is gone. It's in the past. There's nothing we can do to go back and change what happened last year. But what we can do is we can look forward to this new year. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. Maybe you had some goals in 2023 that you didn't achieve. Start over again. Say, God, I want to I read the Bible in a year. I, I want to learn how to pray. Those are some things that we focused on since I came here three years ago. Man, we have focused on prayer. We have focused on hearing from God. What about putting it into application in your life. What about applying those things? Have you reached that point yet? These altars will be open here in just a moment. This invitation time is for you to respond to what you've heard today. These altars are open for you to commit, saying, God, I want my attitude to change right now. And I want 2024 to be the year that every day I become more and more like Jesus. And in just a moment, I'll be down here in the front. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you want to step out in faith and give him your life, I'll be waiting to help you through that. Every head bowed and every eyes closed. As they get ready to begin our closing hymn of invitation, I just want to once again remind you that this is a totally private moment. No one else is looking around. But this is a time for you to do business with the Lord. Don't be ashamed. Don't hesitate. Don't feel pressured either. This is not the only time when you can do business with God. If you would rather wait until after the service is over and come to me personally, we've, we've got a place where we can get along and do some counseling and, and talk about what's on your heart. But let me just tell you this. Why, why do I give a public invitation? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus never did anything in private. Here's what Jesus had to say about that. He said, Whosoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But he said, Whosoever is ashamed of me before men, him will I also be ashamed of before my Father which is in heaven. When Jesus was baptized, it was his public profession of being committed to doing his Father's will. 
And the scripture tells us that as he came up out of the water, there was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Your first step of obedience and your first step of beginning a new life begins right now. And as I close out this prayer in just a moment and the music begins, as soon as you stand up, make that first step down this way and talk to me or get along with these altars and do business with God. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now thanking you for what we've heard. We thank you, Lord, that you want to change us and we thank you, Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all of our sins. And I thank you, Lord God, that you've given us another year to be together as a church, to experience growth, to experience victory, and to begin preparing us for the return of Jesus Christ. And I pray right now, Lord God, even though we have revival services scheduled for February, the revival would begin right now. Begin in my heart, Lord God, creating me a clean heart. And renewing me a steadfast spirit, Lord. And if there's anyone here that has never entered into a relationship with you, I pray that today would be the day that they would experience that new birth and fully surrender to you as their Lord and Savior. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.